Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Let, I'm gonna read, we're going to read the passage for today. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And uh, I'm going to read, this is 1 Peter um, chapter 4, verses uh, 7 through 11. Uh, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Um, I think we hear this a lot, and I think it's absolutely true that we are, as a, as a society right now, as, 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 as like fractured and isolated as we've ever been. And we've been, it, it seems, becoming more fractured over a long period of time anyway. There's a famous book that was written, I don't know how many years ago now, called Bowling Alone. And it was about how, how um, much less participation there is in civic organizations. It's bowling alone. Like my parents were in a bowling league and now people bowl alone. And that's it, that we just engage with each other less often than we used to. Um, I had a friend preach a few years ago and just pointed out that, you know, 100 years ago, every house had a front porch, a big front porch, and didn't have a back deck. Now every house has a big back deck and a very small front porch that never gets used. And you've got a garage door, so you can come home from work, you can open your garage door with a button, you can go in, you can close it and go inside and never have to engage uh, with your neighbors. We're busier, it seems like, than ever, you know, and we have more access to information. I listened to a podcast yesterday by a guy who wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice and how our choices that are meant to make us more free actually restrict us. And and so that's been going on, and COVID has put the, the whole thing on steroids in terms of isolation and conflict and um, fracturing us. And I saw an article this week by, it was an interview with Ken Burns. You know who Ken Burns is? Um, he's done like 40 documentaries, like famous documentaries uh, on America. So he's done, he's done them on... Um, baseball, Vietnam, the Civil War, like all sorts of things. Uh, and the, the interview, the title of it was that Ken Burns is concerned, I forget, it was really dramatic language, like that we're not going to survive this latest crisis that we've been through. And Ken Burns is not, um, he's brilliant, but he's not crazy. You know what I mean? He doesn't say crazy stuff to get attention, which is why the title of the, of the article got my attention. And so he said... He feels like America's faced three huge crises, the Civil War, the Great Depression, and World War II. And he feels like what's happening right now is a fourth great crisis, and he has great concern about whether we're going to get through it. And the crisis consists not just of COVID, but he lumped together COVID and white nationalism and rampant disinformation as the crisis that we're facing now. And his latest documentary is about Benjamin Franklin. So he put this all in context and talked about in those, in the, you know, the time when the nation was founded, they had a team of brilliant people. And so he said this, he said, you needed a person of high character like 
George Washington, and you needed smart people like Jefferson and Madison and Hamilton and passionate people like John and Sam, Sam Adams, but you needed the glue that pulled them all together, and that was Benjamin Franklin. Franklin's talents, he said, are the ones that are most relevant today because we've got a lot of smart people and a lot of passionate people, but we need people who are the glue that will hold us together. And so he looks out and says, we do, like, we're, we're splitting apart because we have no glue. Um, and he talked about what he thinks is facing us as, as a country, and he, and he used the movie, um, this was really weird to me for him to do, but uh, It's a Wonderful Life. You know, everybody knows It's a Wonderful Life, right? The one that you watch at Christmas, and that's it. About uh, George Bailey and, and uh, Bedford Falls and Pottersville and, like, what's going to happen? And he said, my, the whole question, my whole question to America is, where do you want to live, says Burns. It's a simple choice between Bedford Falls and Pottersville. Do you wish to be a community in which everyone is bound to each other and enjoys the blessings of liberty and free speech and freedom to assemble in religion? Or do you wish to live in an all-get-mine Pottersville in which everything is degraded and corrupted? And this is surprised me because he sounds like a you know, more conservative or maybe even a traditionalist, but he's, he describes himself as center-left politically. But I think for him to make the observation, we're missing the glue and... It, what got me thinking about this passage is the glue is that is loving each other. And it's the thing that we don't talk about. But it's like the just a general level of concern that maybe we used to have for each other that we don't have for each other anymore. And this passage seems super timely for that and for the church. And I've said this a bit going through First Peter in the last few months. I think we have an enormous opportunity as the church right now in a culture that's totally fractured and is at odds with each other um, to do something amazing. There was an article that I put out in the weekly this week about six things you need to know about Gen Z, which is if you're 25 and younger, you're in Gen Z. And um, one of them was about how, again, about how isolated they are and how much they're looking for community. I saw a study on um, COVID and loneliness, and the stat that stuck out to me was 60, six, over 60% of young people um, it was like 18 to 25, feel lonely frequently or most of the time, which just stunned me because you don't, they're super connected. And so you don't think that they are, but they are. And they feel like no one cares about them. And, and none, of, none of it, none of what we have, none of our abundance matters without love. And the church has this opportunity to be a lighthouse in a dark time. And so Peter, towards the end of this letter, gives what's fairly simple instruction to the church. You know, he's going to give us a what and a how and a why. You know, here's what to do. Here's some basics on how to do it. And here's why it matters so much. And he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, love. Um, above all, to me, is, is helpful at the end of a, a letter that's dealt with a lot of things. How many of you have had a job review in the last month or two? Um, when you, have you ever had a job review where you really wondered what the above all is? Like, I had a job um, a while back now where I felt like my job description was only loosely connected to my actual job. And so when I had a job review, I was always curious what was going to happen because the piece of paper um, didn't match what I did. And so I had no idea how it was going to be uh, reviewed. This job, actually, it has an above all, and it's this right here. Uh, and whether that should be or not, like this is what occupies most of my time is giving a sermon every week. Years ago, we were a few years into planting the church, and a young woman came up to me after service and said something nice about the sermon, 
Um, some of you, this is a long time ago, her name was Lisa Collier, you might remember, and she's real sweet. She's like, it's like you have a big project due every single week. And I'm like, it's like I have a big project due every single week. You know, she was absolutely right. And, and so there's an above all to it. And I'm, and I'm glad for that because I've come over time because it, like, because it, you have it, once it's done, then you've got another chance. Like right away, you start on the next one. So if it didn't go so well, you've got another chance. It's come in seven days from when you stopped. And, um, and you, get to, you get to deliver something every single week. And some people, like, you have jobs where you're not sure when you delivered. And I know when I delivered. And you get feedback on a pretty consistent basis. So the above all is helpful. Peter has just talked through this letter about so many different things. You know, he started with your elect exiles of the dispersion. And here's who you are. And he had a line about um, put away all, uh, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all slander. Long for the newborn, this pure spiritual milk. There's a lot of personal and like what it is between you and the Lord at the beginning of the letter, and then the the posture of the letter turns. He says, "Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, um, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation." And so then he talks about how we engage with the folks around us and. Because we believe something really different than the people around us, then we're going to see the world differently and we're going to act differently and step into it differently. And so you'll have disagreements with authorities, government authorities, with your occupational authorities. You may have a difference with a spouse, if you know, real differences if you don't believe the same thing. And so here's how you handle those things. And it's going to be hard and you might suffer. And so he gets to the end, it's dizzying. And he says, here, above all, above all, this is it, church. Love, keep loving one another well. And I thought, at church, it, we, we can almost overlook love. It can be, that's the main thing. It's the thing. Love God and love your neighbor. But it's the, it, we can take it for granted. Um, maybe, maybe my favorite part about the church is the lobby. Uh, during COVID, you know, I feel like we've missed out on a lot of things. The number one thing I think we missed out on during COVID is, is worshiping together um, in this room. Last, last Sunday, after my message, we had three songs after my message. In the middle of the second song, I don't know what happened, but all at once, 15 hands went up. Like, <laughs> people just engaged in worship, and there's nothing like it. It's awesome, and I love it, you know? The lobby, we've, I've said this during COVID, what happens in the lobby before and after service are these micro expressions of love that we take for granted until we didn't have them. But the concern that people express for each other um, in the lobby is a, just a great thing for the church. We might, we might could spend a little less time in the lobby actually before service in particular, you know, or get here earlier so you can spend some good lobby time, have some lobby time, and then get in here and have some worship time. And this, uh, we, this for years, for years, every, we have this conversation all the time. I'm like, it's a problem. We could have worse problems. If people were in here staring at their phones going, can we get this over with? That would be a worse problem. Then we can't get people to stop talking to each other. But it's still um, a problem. And after service, people will be out there for like 45 minutes talking to each other. I'll be honest, after service, I'm a little wiped out from this. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it just wipes you out. And so I'll talk to people for a while, and then I'm like, I just want to go home and sit on the couch. And I'll just sneak out the back door, and people are still in the lobby talking. I feel bad about it every Sunday, but I'll do it. So, that, I mean, it's good. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good thing. I, um, I will, this is a little bit of a detour, but church, last, last Sunday, there was a, a newer couple in the lobby, and they were sitting at a table all by themselves, and a bunch of people were around talking to each other. And I almost stood on the table and said, y'all, like we can be, we're super friendly church. 
sometimes I don't think we're a super welcoming church. Because people sense, people have said this, it's like family, but it can feel a little family reunion. Or it's like a merry-go-round that it seems like people are having fun on that, but it's hard to figure out how to get on that. Um, and, and, and so, like, we need to do a better job of inviting people into uh, family. But you, you just sense love. And, it, and, and it, it's not as a smaller church, it's sometimes easier to sense that. The way people rally and care for each other, um, you sense that. And so he says, love one another. And then he adds this word earnestly, which is also translated fervently or deeply or constantly. And it has a, um, a connotation with it of stretching something, like an athletic term, or extending yourself. And so, like, go the distance with your love. Extend your love for each other. And I think that's perfect for a church because church is family, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And and family can be the ones that you, it's the hardest, to, they're the ones you love the most, but you got to stretch your love for your family, right? Because the longer you're in relationship with somebody, the harder they can be um, to, to love. The more your personalities can clash, the more those little idiosyncrasies can get on each other's nerves, the more situations you can be put in that create stress in your relationship. And the gospel is like the only way through that in the long run. And we have that. And we, it's just a matter of applying it as the church and stretching out your love. Um, I thought one of the things that, that paradoxically indicates the, the depth of love in a church is how hard it is when someone leaves. Um, you know, it's not, it's not that hard to leave your gym. Uh, it's, it's not that hard if you switch your kid's school. Like, it can be hard, but it's not hard like, like church. Um, when, you, when you leave a, uh, a job, you know, that can be hard. But it's not, and it's, it's not as hard because the point of the church is love, and it's above all love, and the gym is not above all love. It's above all work out, and the school is above all learn, and the job is above all let's make some money, you know? But this is love, and that makes it um, a, a challenge. But uh, I had an opportunity this fall that was really a blessing for me. Um, there was a family that was here right at the beginning, and after a few years, they left it's probably the first closest family that left, and it was a theological issue. I totally understood why they did it, but it was hard, and, and we're friends, but we just don't have context, so we don't hang out much. Well, this fall, their son was a freshman on the varsity soccer team at Enloe, and my son was a senior, and so unexpectedly, our kids got old, and that was expected, but unexpectedly, they played on the same team, and so we got hours on the sideline to hang out together, and I was so, it was so much fun. I was so excited to have contact with them again, and I told them at one point, and it was real specific, I thought through this to make sure they understood what I was saying, but I said, listen, in 15 years of pastoring a church, so many hard things have happened that I never anticipated. No one tells you about the hard things that will happen. Awesome things have happened, but hard things have happened, and, um, and I told this couple I said, you guys leaving was probably top three hard things that have happened. And they're in ministry, so they get that. And I didn't say that to make them feel b bad, like guilty or sh anything. I told them, I totally understand. I told that to communicate, I said that to them to communicate, man, I love you guys. And I miss you guys, and I still love you guys, and we don't have to be in the same church to still love each other. But like, um, that's what this is about is the love that we have for each other. And, um, and it's good that that's hard because these relationships matter, you know? And so I, I will say this. If you, if this church, another church, I don't know who's here or who's tuning in. You leave a church. If you're at a big church, you never met the pastor, don't worry about it. If you're at a smaller church, 
um, tell the people that you know, but like if you're at a smaller church, man, know that when you step out, it's going to be hard. And it should be hard. And it's good that it's hard. Um, but if you step out and you don't have a conversation with the right people, uh, you haven't, the hard hasn't gone away. The hard has stayed with the people that have stayed. You've just transferred the difficult in that. And those of you that have been here for a long time, you know exactly what I'm, what I'm um, talking about. It's kind of like if, if your sister says she's showing up at Thanksgiving dinner and she's bringing the potatoes and then she just doesn't show up. And you're all like, what, wait, where, where's she okay? Like, what happened to her? Is it something we said? And we have no potatoes. Like, it's a problem on a bunch of different levels, you know, when that happens. And so that's church. Know that this is a, the above all is love, love the Lord, and that's where our love comes from, but love one another fervently and know that you're loved and stretch your love for each other. And um, COVID, COVID has done that. So he gives us the what. And then he gives us some really simple things to pick about the how. Uh, he says, show hospitality to, to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So show your love by serving one another. Just, you know, it's pretty simple. Um, hospitality is a word I don't think we use a lot, but uh, it, that's taken a hit during COVID. Like, we haven't hung out together as much. Um, like, generally, people have isolated, you know, and part of that's that we're wary of getting sick. We're wary physically. Um, part of it's that we're wary emotionally of stepping on like a COVID or a politics landmine and not knowing what's going to happen. Part of it's that we're just tired of all the, the navigating, the political, the emotional, the relational navigation that we've had to do. And so it's been easy just to go home and, you know, close the door and sit on the couch or just not to leave home um, at all. And, uh, and, we've, and we've just missed a lot in that. And hospitality um, matters. It's really basic. It's about the easiest thing you can do, but it takes a lot of effort. Um, it takes a lot of effort to do it. Uh, this, someone shared this years ago with me. The simplicity of sharing a table matters. You know, when you're across the table from somebody, you're acknowledging a need that both of you have that levels the playing field and seeing it met together. When you meet in a different context, when I meet someone new, if I met somebody here at the church, like it's my turf. If I met someone in... Um, in an office and there's a desk like that's a symbol of power when you meet somebody and you spill ranch on your pants you know what I mean like that's a symbol that's some vulnerability involved with uh, eating chicken wings together like it's it's just changes things when you do that and so he says show hospitality to one another uh, without grumbling invite somebody into your home invite them into your personal space invite them into a different dimension of your life and that changes your relationship and and so real simple, like do it without grumbling. Have you been grumbling about hospitality? What are our top hospitality grumbles right now? What are the things that make hospitality hard that we, we might not call it grumbling, but we're grumbling about? Anybody? Uh, I thought about this for me. I'm tired. I'm just tired. Um, we're too busy with other things. Uh, we'd have to clean the house. 
Uh, that's a possibility. I, I think this is, this one, we have enough friends. But it's one, I th- was talking to somebody earlier this year, I thought the older you get, the harder it is for people to make like new good friends. And it would be a worthy goal to make a good new friend every single year. Um, that doesn't seem like a lot, but the older you get, I think that's what it is. I don't know what it is for you, but it's, it's a simple call. Um, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Like, know that you need it. Just step over that line. Home group is hospitality. Uh, engage your home group. Re-engage your home group. Um, would you make it a goal just to share a meal with somebody? You know, look around the room, pick somebody out you can go to lunch with after service, and then you'll just knock that off right away, okay? You can do that today. But engage hospitality. And he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so he engages something that is throughout the New Testament. Paul talks about it in Romans and Corinthians, the idea that we're a body, and we each have a part to play in the body, and that God has equipped us to play that part, and the Holy Spirit has gifted us in a certain way to play our role in um, the church family, and I don't know why here he breaks it into speaking and serving. Those lists are, you know, different in different places, um, but that's what he does in this case, and he says, like, with the speaking, God's the one that's given you the words to speak to each other, and so give them to each other, and with the serving, God is the one that gives you the strength to serve. So speaking is not just this, it's not just preaching, but speaking is, some of you are really great encouragers, (laughs) You know, you're constantly encouraging people. And those are words that God has given you to give to somebody else. And it's a way that you love them. Some of you have discernment. And you're good at helping people think through situations and make decisions. Some of you are good at exhorting. You see someone going down the wrong path, and you're going to call them out and tell them what they need to do. Some of you, it's instruction. Some of times, it's telling somebody about the gospel. It's telling somebody about Christ and the love that he has for them. It's evangelism. And those are ways that we love one another. Um, and then he says, serve by the strength that God supplies. And so just for a minute, I would just want to point out some folks that have served extremely well during um, COVID, because there are some folks that when COVID hit, just leaned in super hard and were able to, and God called them to, and so um, they did it. And I'd start with, with uh, Kelly and with Tiffany. Um, Tiffany's not here today. And is Kelly in the room or is she in the back? She's always in the back. Kelly's always in the back, y'all. Um, which is not good for Kelly or fair for Kelly, but she is. And so, and Tiffany, John described Tiffany as the glue of the church earlier this week, and she is. Um, and Kelly it has brought just a lot of passion and to our children's ministry and our students, and it's been amazing. You could think, well, those folks get paid to do that. They don't get paid enough to, for you not to be super thankful <laughs> that they are serving in the way that they are serving. And all the people that have volunteered with Kelly for our children's ministry have loved, you know, and I have four kids that have been raised in this church and through our children's ministry, and they know that they're loved. They know the love of Christ and the love of the church um, because people have served them well, and they're people that have leaned in so hard during this time and served well. Uh, Ken has dominated the check-in, like every week, Ken's there, um, checking people in. John Enzor and Julie uh, have, have, you know, pushed the worship team through um, the last six months of COVID and held it together. And Jake and the Pritchetts and Wes and Ryan and Kevin, and I hope I haven't missed people in that, have just leaned in and played a lot because we've needed it. Jake and Glenn were here for hours last weekend putting in a new soundboard and like taking stuff out of the ceiling and trying to make sure stuff works and learning stuff that they didn't know. 
And that's a form of loving the church. And Matt and Dan were here because they're our sound guys through COVID. And so they came the next day for hours and learned how to use that. The tech team and, and two um, kids in particular, uh, Luke Byers and Aiden Floyd, have been in, like a huge part of that team and like loving the church and serving the church well. And Daniel and Andrew and Mason and Kevin um, have been back there. And Kevin Carrada has, has been our guest services team. Like, and Kate has been there at the door every single week. <laughs> um, and other folks that have stepped in, Debbie and Adam have helped, but they've, they've loved you in that way. Richard Stover has made your coffee since we've been back together. Almost every week it's been Richard. A couple weeks ago, I woke up and I had a text. I woke up on Sunday morning. I had a text from 3 o'clock that Sunday morning, and it was from Nancy, Richard's wife, that said, hey, Richard fell during the night. He might have had a heart attack, but I think he's just dehydrated. But we're at the hospital, and so I'll let you know what's going on. And the whole point of the text was, he just wanted to let you know he's sorry about the coffee. That was it. Like, she texts me and says, he might have died, but sorry about the coffee. And that's, he is committed. Like, and Rebecca um, Hall has, has, you know, just driven women's ministry activity over the past couple of years. And Jean Marie and the prayer team and Jean Marie this a couple of weeks ago was like, hey, can I come and just pray for you guys while you're having staff meeting? <laughs> like that's commitment. And Shannon Byers has taken over doing our books from Greg Hookstra, who's done it for years before her. And no one sees that, but it's a ton of work. And Ken and Dan and John holding the line till we have some headroom to get our home groups moving again and our home group leaders and Alan and Casey that you know, picked up the student ministry until we could turn that over to Kelly and all the folks that Bobby and Kevin and Mike and Aaron and Shannon that work with them and Tracy Miller is doing this rewrite your anxiety workshop for a second time because it went so well and was so helpful the first time and Stephen Ministry crew and your elders and, and I hope I know, know who I missed. I'm sorry. I'll take you out to lunch if I missed you. And Peter calls all that what it really is because it doesn't seem like that in the moment. But Peter says what that really is is love. Like, that's what love looks like. And says, serve by the strength that God supplies. And so I pray um, that, that you, all of you that have leaned in so hard and served in all these ways in this moment can rest in the word of God communicating. Good job. Like, above all, love one another fervently stretch your love and you've done that and that you would find strength from him to continue to serve you know and if you've been unavailable for a season and and I'm I no one knows what everybody's going through you know what I mean that's fine that you would step back in because we need it all right now you know we need more we don't need greeters. We need welcomers. We need, you know, folks that, that get it are going to make people feel welcome. And we need that team. We need musicians. We need more tech folks, more hospitality folks, children's minister, ministers, men's ministry, women's ministry, engage your home group. We need all of that right now. Like, it was all I could do to put that mask on this morning that we're here because it's, I guess it's next Friday. Is it next Friday? The, the, woo! Yes! <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can't wait till this is over. Um, but we have such an opportunity in this. And, the, and so the why, you need it more than you know. Like I know we're tired. We, this is what we need, is love. 
and that the world needs it. It needs a church that knows how to love more than they know. It's what we're made for. It's what our hearts long for. It's the glue that Ken Burns is talking about without knowing that he's talking about it, is we've lost it. And the only place that's going to come from is the Lord. There's no naturalistic, our culture isn't going to figure that out. They don't have motivation to do that. That comes out of the gospel. And the church has such an opportunity to love well in that void. Jesus said, by this they'll know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This was what will mark the church is love. And we're not doing it super great right now, right? But there's such a chance for us. Uh, the end of the passage, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Like the end of it is that he would be made to look good and people would be drawn to him. I heard a quote this week from Augustine um, that a pastor used in a sermon. He said, there can only be two basic loves. The love of God unto forgetfulness of self or the love of self unto the forgetfulness and denial of God. The love of God unto the, that leads to the forgetfulness of yourself or the love of yourself that's going to lead to the forgetfulness and denial of God. The world isn't going to figure out how to stop loving themselves unless someone shows them what love looks like. And that starts with the love of God. The, um, the first line of this passage was this, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. And I, I almost just cut that out, because I'm like, what do you say about this? Like, what did at hand mean to Peter? Because it's 2,000 years doesn't seem like at hand to me. And I listened to someone talk about this, and, um, and they're really smart about it. They said, Jesus said a bunch of times, uh, you're not going to know the day or the hour. It's going to be like a thief in the night. So what this probably means is just, and the, the way the language is, the consummation of all things, you know, is going to happen. And so that what this is saying is God is going to wrap all this up. And so live in light of the reality that God, is, there is a point to all of it. And live in light of the reality of that point. And you think about, people will say, um, I heard this just recently, that they'll look at Christianity and say that's a, that's a crutch. You know, for people that are the weak, they need something like that. Or it's a fairy tale that people make up. And so the idea that God's going to come back and make it all together, you do that just to make yourself feel better. And we don't need that because we're strong enough without it. I started thinking about how, and I say this a bit, every single movie we watch, we're obsessed with stories and they all end how? They all resolve. They, there's, they all end with a happily ever after in some way, shape, or form. All the crime shows get solved. No one, like, there's not an end of a crime show where they're like, well, we couldn't figure that one out. Throw it in the cold case bin so we can have a show about it 20 years from now about how we figured it out. Like, that's not it. They all resolve because we all instinctively believe that the end of all things is at hand. It's going to work out. It's going to happen. Um, but, but God gives us direction. He makes something concrete that you have to express faith in. It's going to be difficult. And the, the, like our, the culture without God believes that, but just kind of make, makes it up as they go along, you know? In an increasingly naturalistic Western culture that rejects the supernatural, you know, where it's, it all like is ones and zeros, how people say it sometimes. But then they're, the, we'll pick and choose what we think isn't. And so love is not ones and zeros. You know, love is something completely different. Justice doesn't make sense if it's all Darwinistic, naturalistic evolution. Um, there is no justice that doesn't work in the survival of the fittest. You know, that's justice, and it's fine. 
But it's not, and we know it's not, but we pick and choose. And so Peter is saying, God is in control. God's the one that's going to make all things right. Live in light of that reality. And one pastor said, you know, in the movies, who is the, who's the one that's holding the end is near sign? It's the lunatic, right? And here Peter says, hey, the end is near, so you're the one that's going to be sane because of that. And it's a totally different, it's a totally different thing. Um, one guy mentioned that I didn't, I didn't watch The Simpsons a lot because the show annoyed me, but the guy was brilliant that wrote it. In, in the 90s, they had an episode where we're in their town. What's the town? Call you guys out. Springfield. Uh, they had a do what you feel festival. So they, they, they suspended their do what we tell you festival for one summer, and they had a do what you feel festival. And so they had all these contests, and people are doing stuff. Well, in the middle of one of the contests, the stands that everyone's sitting in fall down because the guy that put the stands together didn't put the bolts in. And so they asked him about it, and he said, well, putting the bolts in was going to take me like two hours, and I didn't feel like it, so I didn't do it because it's a do-what-you-feel-like festival. And they're like, well, you have to put the bolts in. He's like, I don't have to do anything that I don't feel like doing because that's the point of the whole thing. And it's brilliant. Like that's, and it was 30 years ago. And it's, this is, we are living in a giant do-what-you-feel festival. Like that's what our culture is. Um, and the stands are falling down. The bolts are coming out, and the stands are falling down in slow motion, you know? Uh, and love has come to be a do-what-you-feel festival. And that's what love is. It's just a feeling. But that's not. Love is not predicated on your feelings. It's predicated on the character of God. And so that line, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We need that love right now. Um, I am about at the end here. I, so the Rams won the Super Bowl, um, and Matt Stafford is quarterback of the Rams. He was, he was at Detroit, and so I followed him for, um, for a long time. And I kind of like, like them. His wife had a tumor a couple years ago. They became real relatable. She almost she like couldn't walk and had to relearn how to walk, and they just... They, they can seem like down-to-earth people. There was a video out about how they, um, at Christmas one year, there's a, they went to this family's house in suburban Detroit, and the, the kids had lost their father that year, two teenage boys, and so the Staffords just show up at their house, and they, the kids don't know what's happening, so they have this video of the kids like, no way, like, no way, Matt Stafford's at my house, and played Xbox with them for a few hours. Like, they're likable. Um, folks. Well, did anybody see what happened with Matt Stafford this week? Because they got the, they had the parade and uh, what to say about that? There we go. Um, so she keeps stepping back, and she just all of a sudden drops like 10 or 15 feet um, down, like, whoa. And so, and he has had too much to drink. So he sees this, and he's like, 
and he almost looks like he snickers, and he's like, oh, and he turns around, and his wife is right there, and he kind of like motions to her, and so she goes over, and she's like, holy cow, and the lady um, didn't, she broke her spine. She didn't, she wasn't like paralyzed, but she was real severe, and so her friend set up a GoFundMe for her. Um, I might have been distracted on Thursday when this happened. Uh, set up a GoFundMe for her. And they're raising money, but the comments then were like, Matt Stafford is despicable, and he's a horrible person, and he's demonic, and all this stuff. And I thought, well, A, we don't know anything about Matt Stafford. We only know what they want us to see, you know. And Matt probably had too much to drink and made a really bad decision because that's what people do when they have too much to drink, and he shouldn't have done that. But, like, his whole life isn't characterized by this one incident but that's the world we live in right like we're that's cancel culture that's like as quick as it can be where we are so ready to pull the trigger on somebody and and i and we do it because it makes us feel good it gives us a sense of righteousness to to highlight someone else's wrongness and that's that's where we are and and love covers a multitude of sins. Like the world is so desperately in need of a church that will calm down and love people well and stretch their love for people. And we can do that because we've been loved and because our love is not predicated on our feelings. We love because he first loved us. And we forgive because he has forgiven us. And we endure because he has endured with us. He didn't cancel us, he covered us. He loved us fervently, and that's what love is. And when we know that love and the depth to which we know that love, that God didn't count our sins against us, but he counted our sins against Jesus on the cross and gave us his righteousness, only then do we have the strength not to hold other sins against them, but to love them through those sins, for love to cover a multitude of sins within the church and outside the church. We don't need to relish in the righteousness we derive from somebody else being wrong because our, our righteousness is, is, the Bible says, filthy rags to God. And we have the righteousness of Christ and we don't, we don't need to play that game because he's taken away our shame uh, when he took away our sin and we have the capacity to love the world around us the way that we've been loved. Above all, Love one another fervently, for love covers a multitude of sins. This is what we're missing. This is what the world's missing. And that, that will come out of a church that lives out and gets, and the gospel is at the center of it, and has learned to love each other well and can move out from that love. And that's what he's calling us to. Um, I forgot to bring up my little cup this week, and Julie and Wes can come back up, and, and in time, you've got a communion cup, and we'll change this soon because we don't have to wear masks anymore, and so we'll, um, we'll redo how we do communion, but the reason we do this every week is because it's so easy to forget in a, a time when we are um, pressed with that type of accusation and the temptation and the self-righteousness all the time to be reminded that our righteousness comes from Christ. And so during these next few songs, when, when you are ready, I invite you to, um, to take the, the bread, which represents Christ's body that's been broken for you, 
and to drink from the juice that represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. Father, I pray that you would help us to be um, a church that knows your love uh, well, Lord, that grows deeper and deeper in our understanding of the love that you have for us and, um, and our need for it. Lord, a church that stretches our love for each other uh, through whatever circumstances um, we endure, through whatever things that we're going through personally, through whatever parts of our own sanctification, Lord, that we're going to endure with each other as you point out the things about us that you want to change, God, that you would weave us into a family um, and your love is evident in that family and that that love would be evident to the world around us and they, they would see your glory and your goodness and you as the way, the truth, and the life through that love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.